episode 314 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, are you ready for the playoffs? I am. I'm very excited. <laughs> Would you characterize yourself as in kind of, you know, pitbull form today? I don't know if I. I, I, I didn't mean, wake up, and the first thing I came into my head was Pitbull's famous playoffs. So. Playoffs. That's that's a high bar to to clear. That I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm first round ready. <laughs> At least when it comes to the Bucks. Um. Yeah, as we'll get into, but I'm I'm more. Hmm, I don't know where I would be. It's it's simmering in the background, let's just say that. I mean, before we even get into the books, um, it might actually be a bad idea for us to zoom out and look at some other things around the league. Uh, do you plan on watching some of the series today? I'll certainly have it on. I don't know how in-depth. I think some, some series are more engaging than others. Go on. Let us, Steve, dive deep into the mind of Jordan Tresky in terms of which series are going to capture your attention. Um, I think Boston, Philly, just because East, hey, who knows? This may be a Bucks opponent online. We don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember who else plays today. Denver, Utah? I can run through it for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, Denver, Utah will likely be on by the time this posts. It's yeah. the early tip today. Then we've got that followed by Nets Raptors. Then Sixer Celtics uh, finished off with Mavs Clippers. Mavs Clippers would be interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's the best first round series between the two conferences. Yeah. Um, sneaky, sneaky upset potential. Uh, I think it'll go pretty pretty deep that series though certainly more so than you would normally expect from a 2-7 uh, but yeah. that's that's an interesting one Sixers and Celtics yeah I will pay attention to although I don't think it will actually be interesting once it actually gets underway in an abstract sense it's easy to say you know Sixers and Celtics but really it's just how quickly do the Celtics get that done yeah and I think the answer is going to be pretty quickly I would assume too. I mean, yeah, people are waiting for the Sixers to show up, and it's like this is who they are. Why are we waiting anymore? 
Yeah, I mean, with Simmons out, it's just like... I'm not seeing it. Although, look, I mean... The flip side of it is, the Celtics are the team that it's long been like, oh, they could do with a centre if they could trade for a centre. And they're coming up against Embiid. But I don't know how the Sixers will stop Brown and Tatum and even Kemba. So I I, I just don't know how the Sixers they have to, will. They have to determine to win games like 80 to 70. <laughs> In order to yeah, win. I just don't know if they can do that, though. That's, no. Like, Embiid could have some 50-point games because everything goes through him, and that's maybe where the Celtics are weakest. But I don't know how they would stop just Boston by committee having multiple guys who go 20-plus. Agreed. That's, even in a low-scoring game, I'd find it tough to see the Sixers coming on the right side of that. Uh, yeah. Then tomorrow, of course, the games do tip off with Bucks Magic, which we will talk plenty about in a moment. Heat Pacers is the other obvious one, as obviously what lies in wait for the Bucks if they take care of the Magic, like we all expect they should. Mm-hmm. And then Thunder Rockets and Trail Blazers Lakers, which are, I think, both pretty interesting series. Yes. It, yeah. Hesitation, Jordan. Hesitation. Why? I was watching the Blazers, the playing game, which was fantastic, uh, the other day. They're really. It's just like, oh yeah, they're really thin. <laughs> it's really like they can't go any further into their bench. Like Hassan White said, even if he plays like ten minutes, like it's just this black hole of like. Blah. But how far can the Lakers go into their bench? That's also, that's a good point. That's a very good point. <laughs> I think those teams are... Uh, they're constructed at the moment in a not-dissimilar way. And... It's going to be interesting. I don't think the Blazers are going to win, but again, much like Mavs Clippers, it just has the look of a series that's going to be a lot more interesting than a top seed against a lower seed would usually be. And certainly... And we hope this is the case, but in the East, it looks like one eight and two seven are gonna be pretty much formalities and kind of damn squibs from a, a neutral perspective. Um, but at West, uh, who knows? He Pacers. I have a funny feeling about the Pacers. I'm not buying in on a lot of the Heat love. That's and it's not even the Heat love. I think there's a lot of, um, among Bucks fans, the Heat really concern people. And I'm not quite seeing it, even with the Bucks out of sorts. I think over seven games, um, the Bucks would be fine. Uh, I don't think it would take seven games. But I just have a feeling that the Pacers could cause them a lot more trouble than I think most people seem to be assuming they will. Like, uh, considering... I don't know if they've been through, but Oladipo missing so much time this season for the Pacers to be in the playoffs and to have finished with the record they did and to actually uh, go into that series as the higher seed. Like, yeah, no one expected that at all. No, that's a that's a notable achievement, and a top four seed like under different circumstances they'd have home court. I don't see why the Pacers can't kind of really make that a series and. 
they've had a habit of this anyway, historically, as a franchise. Series that, you know, they shouldn't really be winning, but they'll certainly they'll bring it deep to six, seven games and really make the opponent kind of have a hard look at themselves and figure out who they'll be. Now, I don't know if going forward, would that be a positive for the books if the books are true in four games without any really stress against uh, the Magic and they play a Heat team that's maybe prevailed after going a tough six or seven games and had to find an extra gear? I don't know. We could debate that, certainly with the books looking like they need to find something themselves. But I, I do think that's the kind of dynamic I'm looking for going forward if the Pacers can't even pull off the upset in that one. I have a just a funny feeling. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know. It, it's really tough because it's like, oh, whenever... I feel like this has been like the last, like, what, three years? Talking about the Pacers? you kind of, Everybody kind of shortchanges them or just kind of like all these questions are posed to them and you're kind of like, well, I guess we'll just have to see what they do with it. And they... In the regular season, they do overwhelmingly great. I mean, they've got constantly punched above their weight, um, battling through injury, battling through Oladipo's, you know, rehabilitation, his injury, his own injury, all that stuff. Losing Brogdon for how many games as he's missed or been out, like, or and obviously Sabonis is out too. Like, there's just always something kind of in the way of like them getting past like this, like like really competitive squad and turning into like a contender. I just think the heat are very well equipped to like slow them down. And this goes beyond just Jimmy Butler, TJ Warren, whatever you want to call that uh, rivalry. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's the term for it. Yeah. I don't, it just doesn't feel it. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> I just think, yeah, I, I definitely could see it going like six games, but I, I'd be kind of hard-pressed to see India. Here we go again. I'm, I'm saying all these questions and I'm doing this with the Pacers, and they could easily make me eat crow um, and beat the Heat. Yeah, I mean, look, Sabonis is obviously a major loss for them, and I think that would be a real game-changer. If Sabonis was healthy, I think they may actually be a pretty popular pick in that series, but, I mean, you do have to look at what they've managed to do through all of that, like, and they've just, they've done more than keep it all together, they've actually pressed on at times where it could easily just have fallen apart and nobody would have really blamed anyone, I mean, mm. it is interesting with the Pacers, you had the whole, oh, Nate McMillan's going to be fired, Nate McMillan's going to be fired, Nate McMillan has a new contract extension that we got last week, which, hmm, some games being played there, possibly. Yeah. Uh, when, some, when something plays out like that, when everyone in the media is like, oh, we're hearing Nate McMillan's going to be fired. And it was and only then, a year, too, right? It wasn't like it's like, oh, he's staying for a while. It's like, oh, like, no. It's, it, I mean, like, it's still kind of like, I don't know. That's, that was a whole kind of weird dynamic. Yeah. I mean, look, a year is fair. And yeah. Particularly when they've had a season like they've had with injuries, it's kind of okay well let's let's give you an extra year let's kind of and they've invested a lot for what it was yeah, yeah they've invested a lot in what they have too and they don't really know what they have like take about like 
the Brogdon move and the big decision that was for them. Sabonis extension. The Sabonis extension. And what have we seen of what their first choice lineup would be? Nothing. Nothing. Next to nothing. Like, uh, that's a, that feels like a path that we used to go down quite a lot with the books yes. back when Jabari was a part of the plans and Chris had his hamstring injury and we used to play that whole game. We just can't get everyone healthy all at once. Uh, so I think we know what that one's like. But I, I find them an interesting team and I just, they find a way to be competitive and they find a way to win games. I know that certainly does apply for the Heat as well. Um, but, like, the tear TJ Warren's being on... This is a weird this is a weird postseason and I don't know. Maybe it's not gonna feel like a postseason the same way for the players. I don't know if Jimmy Butler just looks head and shoulders above TJ Warren like he may do in another kind of another environment and a different kind of circumstance for this. Yeah. I, I there's no reason to say that some of these guys who've been red hot won't continue to be. Um and I mean as we pivot over to a book side of that, the flip side of the coin is like, does someone like Dante, does he need the crowd? Like, what is it, what is Dante diving on the floor if there isn't a crowd to cheer it? It's like a real, you know, there is. tree, go, tree goes fans. down in the forest. Come on, the virtual fans. Come <laughs> on. Our good friend Ty Windish is scheduled to be a virtual fan. I think that's, oh, he that's is? all you need to know. Yeah, for game one. That's oh. all you need to know about the the quality of the the virtual fans being let in, Jordan. It's not, <laughs> it doesn't bode well. But let's let's pivot over into some books talk. You have been bullish on this. We've talked about this privately. I think we might have talked about it a little bit on our last episode. We've talked about it with other people. Uh, Philip Rossman Reich of Orlando Magic Daily. We had kind of two Q and A back and forth about our respective teams to really kind of get a sense of the series. And my takeaway is Jordan, who was never like flippant or bullish about any opponent is very, very confident that not only will the books win, I think most people feel that way, but that they will win this as a real formality. Do you want to elaborate on why that is? Is this just a new Jordan? Is this how you're going to be from now on? Um, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) I, well, first, the Magic are obviously banged up. One big absence, Jonathan Isaac, was certainly crucial to any kind of defensive game plan that they would have in terms of slowing down Giannis and, or throwing a, a not a big body because he is very skinny, but a long-limbed body, the kind that John Hammond finds through the draft relentlessly. Um... He's done for the year. Mo, Mo Bamba, I know. I don't know if he was even playing in the Bumble. Bumble. Bubble. Yeah, he's not in the bubble at the moment. Yeah, he's not in the bubble anymore. He's part. yeah, he's uh, out completely. Um, I think they. I I don't profess to say that I watched any Orlando Magic games. I think actually no. Take that back. I watched a little bit of them playing the Sixers, and they. I don't know if they ended up winning that game but they certainly gave them a run for their money. Um, I just think this Magic team, I think they're kind of... Steve, we talk about them and like Steve Clifford, and he always has them prepared and all this stuff, and 
and it's not like I like whenever the Bucks play the Magic, it's not like there. It's an overwhelming victory. It's always kind of hard fought, and it's eventually goes the Bucks' way. I think that's kind of the same thing. I just think a lot of how they play and what they do offensively too, and just how the whole kind of makeup of the roster. I just don't think they're built to give the Bucks problems as we've seen teams give them problems. They're just not a strong three point shooting team. Like there's just a lot of things that like that aren't there for me to kind of I guess They have the right streaky three point shooters. They're on their roster. Like if the right guys hit for a spell of a week, this could get much more comfortable than the books imagine. Like we've seen say all three of DJ Augustin, Terrence Ross, and Evan Fournier have success against the books in the past. Yes. And they are all the kind of players that, you know, if things go wrong for the books, they will be the ones getting the quality looks. After they make them, it gets very interesting. Like, they're not, overall, you wouldn't say they're a good three-point shooting team. But I think when you look at the profile of some of their players, they definitely have the right kind of guys to hurt the books. And from that kind of point of view, I I kind of hope Terrence Ross gets a little bit hot at some point in this series and we get a look at that in the postseason, considering all the concerns that there are about, you know, basically losing the same way that they lost last year. It will be interesting to see a game like that and see, okay, well, can they power through with their offense? Can they execute? Can they find a way to, like, stop those kind of hot shooters in their tracks, even if it starts going the wrong way from a game? They're... They're all interesting elements. I think my my one thing with the magic that would prevent me from being more concerned than I am, and I'm not concerned, but I'm I'm certainly not like you. And this is it's unsettling me more than anything because it's not the way this works. It's a strange role reverse. <laughs> the, the polar. I'm just referring to everyone as chumps and just like yeah, it's the sweep. Let's move on. But it's not not happening right now. Um. I just don't think they have enough of those guys. Now, Clifford in the playoffs is a really good coach without ever having a team that was very good. Like, it's kind of... He is he is a master of forcing better teams into tough first-round series that they weren't necessarily prepared for. I'm thinking... Charlotte, Charlotte Miami, like 2014... That was still Bobcats. That's what I was trying to figure out, wasn't yeah. it? It was a Bobcats. I think it was Bobcats season. Um, that was a really great series, and the Bobcats were great in that. And probably should have won. They just lost out on the star power side at the end of it. But then you've even got wasn't that the, the Raptors played the Magic last year in a yes. series where I mean we the first round Inferno in that game, right? We know the Raptors' first round issues, but again, the the Magic were well positioned and well drilled, and they. I think a thing with the Clifford team is it feels like they always play up to, you know, their best or something close to it in the playoffs. You're gonna get whatever the best version of themselves they can be at this moment. They will give that. That's my impression of Clifford's teams in the playoffs, and if that happens. That's going to be tougher for the books. I think a lot of people are prepared for. Like, Isaac is a colossal loss because their big problem is Giannis. And if your big problem is Giannis in a matchup with the books, you're like, 
you're... 15 to 20 points down before the game is even tipped off. Yeah. Like, because it's going to be Aaron Gordon. I don't think Aaron Gordon can do anything to stop Giannis, but I think an even bigger problem is they don't have someone beyond Aaron Gordon who can, like, plausibly spend any time causing Giannis problems. I think we're going to see some Michael Carter-Williams on Giannis. He's hurt, though, going into the series. He's He has got a foot injury. Is he expected to miss the whole series, like? Um... I, I thought he was another. I know they've had all sorts of injuries and ailments, but it seems like, for the most part, um, those kind of players are all coming back. He's expected to miss game one. I guess we'd have to see. But when I'm looking down the roster and I'm trying to see, okay, who has the size and the length that you might just consider, okay, you're you're going to give Gordon some relief. Or even worse, like if Gordon just doesn't work for them. And maybe even more importantly, if guarding Giannis just does too much and takes too much out of Gordon that he can't offer anything offensively, that would be a big problem for them. So, like, who is their other option? Um... James Ennis, who is like nowhere near big enough. Like I don't. That's the that's the thing that I look down their roster. I'm like, who are the defenders they control at Giannis? That's their problem. Yeah, if I meet Alpha Rukamino, who I forgot was on the Magic, uh, if he was healthy, that would be kind of a oh, this is a nice like in case of emergency guy, but he's not. Um, again, totally forgot that he was on the Magic. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like we talk about again, John Hammond teams, long, big, athletic guys, and there is without Isaac. I mean, then like that's the thing about their like any game plan. If Isaac was there, I would be a little bit like, oh, they could certainly take a game or two, because it just kind of like, oh, you put Gordon on, on Chris, you put, you know, I guess Marco Fultz when he's on like. The idealized version of the magic would be like Markel Fultz on Bledsoe or George Hill or mm-hmm. whatever. Like there is like a game plan to like really stymie the Bucks if everything was, uh, you know, if they were if the Magic were perfectly healthy. But I I just think not having a Giannis sized defender. And the other thing too is that like I know Vucevic is you know I think obviously leading scorer. Center, he kind of operates the same way as Brooke does, but I just think he's not in the same realm defensively as Brooke as a rim protector. No, no, he's not even a good defender. He's not a good defender at all. Yeah, it's more just kind of like, oh, he's a big body in the paint. You you know how to kind of... Vucic is what Brooke used to be. Like, uh, that's, I, I think, is the way to sum him up. Because maybe if you wanted to make the case that he's like... Brooke in the season with the Nets because he will take some trees, but he has been open about it still. It's not something he's crazy about doing. Yeah. Like, it's it's not his comfort zone. He will take them and he can make them. And we have seen that against the Bucks too, and he can hurt the Bucks. But he's still going to prefer kind of free throw line jumpers. Yep. Or uh, he's he's going he's gonna to look to get inside, and there he's got great touch. But going body-to-body with Brooke, like, Vucic is a big guy, but Brooke has the size to match him, and then some, I would say, is probably just a little bit stronger. I don't know, maybe that's a watch, but it's it's not easy. It's not going to be easy for him at all. 
no. he'd really have to kind of step away from what he wants to do and just go to, okay, how best can we exploit these and hope he makes his shots for that to be something that really becomes an issue. I mean, the player I'm most interested in from the Magic point of view is Fultz. Because Fultz is going to start. Steve Clifford confirmed this. He will, he will be starting throughout the series, or at least the start of the series. And from anything I've gathered, and from the bits that I saw, mostly before the restart, I don't think I've seen the Magic at all since the season resumed. Uh, maybe I, I have. If I have, I've forgotten it, though, and that's not a great sign. But when they had a little bit of a kick kind of just before the the season was suspended, Fultz had obviously come into his own, and their whole team had started to perform better. Their offense was, like, were they number one after the All-Star break? Not that that was that long, but I... They certainly they went on something of an offensive tear, which was a little bit surprising considering all they had. But there seemed to be a sense of Fultz is a point guard, and for as solid as DJ Augustin is, Augustin is really he's a score first guard. Like ideally, if he's a bit bigger, he'd be a shooting guard. But Fultz is a point guard, so suddenly they had someone who could you know organize and orchestrate the offense. They had someone who has good physical tools in terms of guarding other guards, and something clicked, something was working. Now, we all know the full story, and we know the issues that remain there, and the inconsistencies, and really just still like the, the game of catch-up he's trying to play. He also arrived late to the bubble, so I think he's playing a literal game of catch-up too, much like someone like Bledsoe and Pat Connaughton are. But he is the one, because if he had a good series... Less so about him, I think it's going to make the rest of the Magic better. And if he has a good series, the other part of this, and maybe the the most kind of pressing part of this, because it would likely be a concern for the books, are a factor that could play into what they are beyond this series and going forward. If he's a good series, it's probably going to mean Bledsoe's had a bad series. Like, there's a way where Bledsoe can just completely take control of that matchup. He's effectively playing a rookie, like, for as long as Fultz has been in the league. This is his rookie season, let's be real about it. And he's got plenty of his own kind of issues and demons to wrestle with Fultz, that if ever there was a matchup where Bledsoe can go out and be like, doesn't matter, this is the playoffs, I can go at this guy, I can make a real statement, and I can put myself in you know, good form and a great place to succeed going forward, it will be this one. But I do think Fultz has enough about him that it doesn't necessarily just, it's not just going to fall that way. Bledsoe would have to do good work to make that happen. And to me, they are the two swing players for both of these teams. Like, in terms of what version of them you're getting, what you're going to be able to unlock on the high end or the low end. And with them going head to head, I think it, I was going to say it could be very fun to watch, which it could, but it could also be just absolute agony to watch because both of those players are certainly capable of uh, making a trend that way. Yeah, I mean, I to talk about Markel Fultz as a swing player kind of just shows how much he's gone past everything that uh, followed him to come into the NBA. I mean, it can't be lost to anyone that how ridiculous that whole or not ridiculous but you know what i mean like just how crazy 
his rookie first two years were in terms of just everything going on with his, you know, I, I don't even know what it was. Everything. Anyway. You don't you don't know where to begin. And I mean, part of that is still like, even I was writing about it today and I was like, okay, he's healthy. So do we just say that all of that was down to his injury at the time? Was there a mental element there? Like, we just don't have the answer to it still, really. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I think, I, see, this is where it kind of comes down to. I think Vucevic also plays a big part in this. We know how Bucks treat non-shooters. Guys like Rajon Rondo come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcus Smart. Guys of like, hey, if you Any are... Sixer. Who'd you say? Any Sixer. Any Sixer, yes. Ben Simmons, all this stuff. Like, we know how they... There's this whole force field around <laughs> these guys in terms of like, we're going to let you shoot it. And they've certainly done that with Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz, by the way, in four games this year against the Bucks, has shot 27% from the field, 30% from three. Uh, true shooting percentage, 35.3%. Not good. Um, yeah, I just think they're going to have plenty of opportunity to to shoot from three, from mid-range, the spots that like the Bucks are comfortable letting them shoot from. If those shots go in, then we could be talking about this series a little differently after a couple games or so. But I just think with Fultz and given he's still not that strong of a shooter to begin with, Vucevic, we talked about like he has the outline of a guy that, that can give Bucks problems, but he his own willingness to shoot from three is still kind of is he gonna is he gonna be as confident in a shot when he's shooting you know three for ten? You know yeah, I mean? it's like, the classic. The Embiid game was the the best example of this. Where I, that's last season now, I'm pretty sure, but where the Bucks just let Embiid shoot 15 trees and it yes. started off really well for him. And the bet is okay. Well, let's keep letting him do it. And eventually, we'll get in his head, and it got in his head. Like it's just normal. Like Brook is very much an exception when it comes to centers around the league because he does it night in, night out. But if you ask these other guys. Just keep firing away. Just keep firing away. Don't mm. worry about getting inside. Don't worry about anything else. Most of them at some point start to overthink it. They start to hesitate. And that's when everything changes. I mean, the one thing with Fultz that's interesting is it's just how much they back off. Because if you back off too far with him, you're giving him room to step in. And he's actually become a solid mid-range shooter. And this was always when things got weird. It was like, oh, you, you know... He should be able to... Yeah, he can hit 60-foot jumpers, but he can't hit it from the free throw line. Right. There was an in-between game there that seemed like it should set up better free throw shooting and better three-point shooting, and it was never the case. But he can knock down mid-range shots, and maybe I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that I've seen him hit a lot of impressive floaters, where, again, if you give him that kind of space, he's just got decent touch. So... The the instinct might be back all the way off. I don't know. Maybe it won't because even that, with a point guard, that can be a little bit different because you're giving them space that they could also use to, you know, pick out teammates and make really good incisive passes. And it's just, we do see the books do that a lot, but I, I can see it already, like with Brooke, with Vucevic, who is a better shooter from outside to begin with, but just testing the limits of what he wants to do. I can't see Eric Bledsoe standing off his man quite to that extent. And 
I, I think Bledsoe getting tight, regardless if he's not the greatest tread, I think could also... There may be an element of let's really go out and disrupt this Markel Fultz and let's kind of... Let's get in his head. This is his first postseason appearance. I'm nearly certain. Markel Fultz? Yeah, it is. Right? No, it'd be... The, the Sixers went to the playoffs. Yeah, but he wasn't even in uniform, was he? I think he played. Really? Yeah, he played... The, well, no, he didn't. He played 23 minutes. Like, he's good, probably going to surpass that in game one. Yeah. Uh, he'll certainly be very close to it. So, 23 minutes across three games back in 2017-18. And one was a big blowout. So it's like, That sounds like garbage time. Yep. So, I guess we just wait and see exactly what they do on that. But I think he's... He's not. It's not like the book should be going into this fearing Markel Fultz, but I think he's an interesting player just in terms of what direction this can go. Other than that, I think there's some... Like, M. Fournier is an obvious one, and what way... I guess we're going to see Chris on him? Vice versa? I don't know where they're going to I, I would. Ennis. I would venture Wes is on him. And James Ennis probably on Chris. Yeah. James Ennis is just... We, I, I, we've talked about him. <laughs> we have, multiple times. He always tends to be the guy who is going to be someone's savior in the postseason. He's the answer, and... Uh, he's yeah. made it this... He's made it in the league. I mean, he's in the league. I Sure, he's, he's I'll give him got that. a reputation, and he's got a career, and yes. it doesn't seem like he ever really has to sweat on, you know, who's my next team, or... Will I have an X team? Maybe more so, because there's always going to be a team that talks themselves bites. into James Ennis. Yeah. Now we're saying this; he'll probably torch the books and go. <laughs> <laughs> he'll be the Fred Van Vliet of the first round. But yeah, I I don't see otherwise. I mean, the bench side of it is interesting because with the Magic deciding to start Fultz. Okay, so DJ Augustin goes to the bench, and you've Terrence Ross on the bench. Like, this is where it comes into okay. So, what decisions is Bud making in terms of minutes? How deep is the rotation going? How are the rotations going to be staggered? Like, I don't like the idea of let's even say the starters come in and things go great, only for. And all bench lineup to come in, and then DJ Augustin and Terrence Ross go on the tear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, 48 and Ross are the kind of. I, I, I kind of. I don't know. You kind of live with what you get with them or, or receive from them if you're the Bucks <laughs> in this case. But, like, I just think. About, like I, they're probably gonna get what they usually get throughout the season, twenty a game or whatever. In Fortnite's case, Ross is a little bit less, but just because he's you know coming off the bench and all that stuff. I just I don't know. I just think this is like this is where it kind of just like fall. Like I see the threats. This is that we we should say this is not like the Pistons last year where Blake was playing on one leg and only played two games. I mean. 
Drummond is a big man of another age. He can't space it to the level yeah, that they're just so much better than the Pistons. And I think this is this is part of my thing with this series is the books were in a much better place coming into that series last year. They played a team that was considerably worse, in my opinion. I don't think uh, the Pistons had a coach that was anywhere near as good as what the Magic have. Like, it's it's all on the books. The books are very clearly the better team, like, in almost every area. But it's on them to live up to that. Or I think there is more potential here for this to be dicier than anything we saw last year. And I think the thing with that is because of how they've come into the postseason and because of just the immense pressure, very different to what the situation was a year ago, very different for the books. This is pressure. Yes, uh, They are actually the betting favorites now. They weren't up until very recently. They were like, I mean, it was kind of pick them and it still is, but they were third Wait, favorite not that long ago. For, the, the, for everything? For the championship. I looked this morning and the books were the favorites. Wow. That... I wonder what what is that reflecting of? I, I think part of that would naturally reflect that. Lakers haven't been as... Well, I think money coming in in the West is going to split between Lakers Clippers. True, if you yeah, think, that's true. If you think a West team is going to win it, half the money could be on Lakers, half is on the Clippers. So you might just have a higher percentage that are like, well, if you believe in the books, they don't have a challenge that's quite as formidable as those two teams. I'm not writing off the the Raptors or the Celtics or the Heat or whoever, but I don't think it's a particularly hot take to say that there isn't a team for the looks to play in the East that's at the same standard of the Lakers or Clippers, certainly in terms of frontline star power. Yeah. So yeah. I would guess that factors into it somewhat. I would say there's also just more value in the books recently. Like that people would look at and say, okay, look at what this team has been for two seasons. They've got the soon-to-be back-to-back MVP, who's also going to be the defensive player of the year. Uh, path is certainly easier to get out of. Like, yeah, like, so that's, it's not, it's really neither here nor there, whether they're the betting favorites or not, but they are. And in addition to everything else that's going to kind of be there in terms of attention on Giannis and attention on Bledsoe and Chris and on what's happened before. It's just, it's a different situation where I do think, you know, the ideal world, the books win this series and they win it well. Like they could win this, they could sweep, they could win four one. And then we could still be like, the Magic were just terrible. The books kind of got by because they're better and they've more talent. But it wasn't, it wasn't all that impressive. It wasn't sending any kind of statement. Where really, I mean, if the books want to get ready for what's to come and they want to really find themselves, we need to be looking at bench guys playing the final five minutes of all four of these games and move mm-hmm. on to the next round. And that was the story of the Pistons series. But th- this is a better team, so that is. That is just, it's it's niggling in my mind slightly. Like, a good books win in game one would solve a lot. But we've seen how shaky they are, and what if they go and lose game one? I I think it would get pretty, uh, pretty panicked. And I, I do think, like, the level of pressure that even if they are all, you know, they're in the bubble, if they could black out the media side of it, I don't think the media side of it would matter because the pressure that the books would feel internally would ramp up significantly. 
I don't disagree. But you do. It sounds like you do. No, 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 no. no. I don't disagree. I think there is certainly a lot of more, a lot more pressure this year than there was last year. Um, I don't know how to. I, I guess I don't know how to articulate this. I just think there. I just don't know if anything. Again, I could easily eat these words, but I, I just don't know if there's anything that is going to really scare me about the magic that we could see against either the Heat slash Pacers or whoever comes out of Toronto, Boston. I just think we're talking... Yeah, how- but it's it's not about the magic. So let's say the yeah. books come through this in six games. And it's not very good. And the Magic get a couple of games off the books failing to execute and missing open jumpers and giving up countless open trees on the other end. Like, that's not about the Magic. It's not about fearing what the Magic have. But you would go into a series with either the Heat or the Pacers or if they were to go beyond that then, looking at, like, Raptors or Celtics most likely. And you would have major concerns based on what you've seen and then knowing that there was going to be far superior players like lying in wait to pick at those same weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's that's true. The, this... Like it's it's about what the what the magic can kind of. It's not that the magic will be exposing these weaknesses, but they're going to be there. So if if the books aren't themselves, or if there are kind of bigger fundamental problems, whether it's just in the whole strategy and the whole construction of all of this, or whether there are issues that are, you know, stemming from things just not getting right since coming back uh, and kind of convening in Orlando. Like the magic are just the team that are there. Like the, the players, I think it was Giannis who had the quote and I think Bud will likely have said something similar. These are things that they would always say, but I do think they're especially true right now, which is, you know, it's we're, it's only about us. We're just thinking about us, and like I, that's true. But I, I do think it won't be a case of if the Magic win. Oh well, Terrence Ross has done this, and this is. It's like no, well, this thing has reared its head again, and Terrence Ross is the type of player who could take advantage of it. And sure, the books will likely survive this, but what happens further down the line? I think that will ramp up in a very meaningful way. Yeah. Uh, if if any of that goes wrong, and they just they just don't need that would be my kind of take on it. There's there's so much pressure on this already that I think the books should just be really kind of trying to get themselves ultra focused and um, come out game one with the best performance they've they've given in Orlando so far, and just go from there and keep going because they just don't need any of those stumbles. And again, I mean, I've talked about this before, but I. I feel like even in reading a lot of kind of playoff previews from some of the best and most respected national writers from around the league, I I just feel like there's a like a, an element of just oh we have these two teams on paper and they're playing a playoff series and let's treat it like it's any other year and it's being played under the same conditions and circumstances and uh, I'm finding it very difficult to get my head aligned with that based on what we saw in the seeding games. Now, we don't know, is that just regular kind of seasons winding down? A lot of teams don't have a whole lot to play for. Or if that's that combined with, you know, home courts gone, players are away from their families, you're 
you know, there's there's different mental elements that come into it that, you know, some teams may be better equipped to deal with that. Other teams who are, you know, kind of battle-hardened in terms of the usual mental challenges don't normally have to consider. And I think there is real room for some randomness. The question is whether, you know, it's going to be so strange to get a team through a series. That's a very different thing. I don't think that's the case, certainly with the talent disparity that we're going to see in Books Magic. But I, I don't see any reason why any team... I mean, the one team, I think, in the playoffs that I just... There are no hoper to me is the Nets. And I know they've played well, but I, I do just think, particularly with the Raptors, and the Raptors have looked good... And they are going to execute, no matter what they do, they're going to execute. And they're going to probably just, like, suffocate the Nets' offense, which, what was it to begin with? Like, I think that one's a formality. I'm, I'm struggling to see how that goes any other way. Every other series, I think there's room for just a little bit of of interest, we'll say. Again, like, I'm including the books in that, not because I think there's really any chance that the books aren't going to advance in this series. But... I, I just don't see it as, like, if we just rewound the clock back, well, not 12 months, 15 months at this point, and this was the start of a, or even more, uh, what are we, <laughs> 16 months, and this was the start of last year's playoffs, and the books were playing the Magic, and, you know, you've got home court, you've got the fans, you've got a, you've got the kind of regular feel of momentum building up, and then just kind of short rest to get guys right before the playoffs started. All that stuff is gone, and it's kind of... It's even something that it's my reaction to a lot of the, you know, people who are quick to just write the books off entirely and be like, they don't look right. This is gone. It's like, we just, we don't know what a, what an NBA bubble champion looks like. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't know what the steps are along the way. We don't know if you've got to be the team that looks good from the beginning and just sustain it because it's a shorter, more condensed time frame. We don't know if you can take your time to get the rust out and build things up. We know that is the approach the books have actually bet on, even in terms of their practice. But until the middle of October, we're not actually necessarily going to know, well, what is the answer and what does a, an NBA champion in this setting look like? And I'm I'm waiting. I don't think we're going to have upsets everywhere, but I'm waiting for one major first-round upset, the likes of which we would not normally see. Yeah, I, I I don't think that <clears throat> I don't think this there we'll see chalk everywhere. I just I don't know. I I we have like you said we have no idea what the, a bubble bubble I keep doing that bubble bubble <laughs> bubble champion NBA champion looks like we don't even know what how they'll get there what, what how every series will shake up but I just I don't know. Like, we don't know. For for example, the other part of this is, let's say the Bucks look like the greatest team of all time in the playoffs. They breeze through all four rounds. They go 16-0 and they win their NBA championship. Now, this is pure fantasy. I'll point out at this point, but it will become even more clear because of what I'm about to say. Because that is, let's then say that everything is normal in the world and the season starts next year and fans are in arenas and teams are traveling back and forth. As I mentioned, this is all pure fantasy. But in that scenario, like, I don't think it would necessarily just be, oh, well, the books have done it now. 
we see what happens. Like, I don't believe that there'll be an asterisk against this season in terms of, well, look, I mean, part of that is, as everyone knows, it'll depend on how it plays out. If the Magic and Nets beat the Bucks and Raptors in the first round, I think <laughs> that conversation might more generally uh, take on a different quality. But uh, I do think this is something that is so different in a lot of ways that you would still expect the best teams in terms of talent, the best teams in terms of coaching and mental approach to thrive. But there will be some variances, whether slight or significant, between who they are in the normal setting and who they are now. And we just don't know what way that plays up. Mm-hmm. Like, even, is it, like, this is something that's just, it's it's not a factor, but it's kind of an interesting question in terms of trying to just get your head into what the players are dealing with. So everyone's away from their family, everyone's away from home. Uh, some family will come in after the first round for the teams to stick around. But right now, and they are four and a half weeks in the bubble at this point like not an insignificant period of time at all it feels like it's gone pretty quick from out here but i'm guessing it feels quite different inside oh yeah like if you're in the bubble and you're missing your family is it worse if you're a books player and you know there's a considerable distance between you and your family or is it actually is there like a psychological element of it that's worse for a magic player because you know, you could get in your car and you might be 15 minutes away from them. Like, this is the real element of it. I Like, I, that's the kind of thing, it's not going to have any bearing, certainly not in any way we can ever really justify or think about. But I just think it kind of highlights some of the sheer strangeness of what these playoffs are. And how, until we see them play out, there's some things that I just don't think we're going to be able to anticipate. Yeah, that's true. I agree with that. Your prediction, Jordan. I I'm gonna go Bucks and four. I think it's not. I, I don't think it's a. Uh, it'll be a kind of like relief. Bucks and four. It'll be like. It. it I, I just think it's gonna be a tough series, and but they eventually figure things out to win all of them. I'm gonna go Bucks and five. I'm. I think the Raptors will sweep the Nets. I don't think there'll be another sweep in the first round, though. I, yeah, I think that's... I, I, would... I just think there'll be a game there for everyone without home court and with no need for travel and all of that. I, I feel pretty confident about there's going to be a game there for most teams, uh, no matter how lopsided the matchup might feel. So, if the Bucks sweep, I mean, I, I just think that would be a really great and bold statement i think it seems to be the consensus pick for most people i just i think again it's i don't know maybe they're just um they're not paying enough attention to everything else that isn't just you know normal nba season or maybe i'm overthinking that we'll find out in time okay jordan let's move on to the mailbag we have a few questions in the first of which comes from at mke robert Rank the top five players in the Milwaukee-Orlando series. Top five? I would say Giannis, Chris. Brooke. Bledsoe. (sighs) 
I'm torn between Vuchar and Gordon for five. Vooch. Aaron... That's that's the way I was kind of leaning, because I don't... Aaron Gordon... I don't know. Go on, do it. I feel like this was going to be like a Jason Tate. I know, we're kinda. just people poking and prodding. Um, I don't know. I just think how we talk about Aaron... Like, how... This is my read of it. Again, got to give these caveats before I bellow out. <laughs> Skip Bayless over here. I, I just feel like people talk about Aaron Gordon as this kind of... First of all, they talk about Aaron Gordon as in like he'll be he'll realize his potential when he's traded from the Magic. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not with the Magic. It's like, oh, they have like these overlapping wings. And that definitely is true with Gordon. Isaac is not a perfect fit by any means. Um... I don't know. I just think that he, he's a good player. I'm not saying he's not a bad player. I just don't think I think how we talk about how we view the idealized version of a guy like Aaron Gordon or I don't know. These kind of like they're not veterans but they're not rookies anymore. They're just kind of stuck in between the middle. You know what I mean? Like that fifth year to seventh year kind of I mean, uh, they're usually the guys that it's already over. And I mean, yeah. not over. Like, they're going to have very good NBA careers where they can make plenty of money. But it's like, uh, part of, in Aaron Gordon, I think part of this is he doesn't have any of the kind of role player skills. No. That makes the pivot from, okay, so he's not going to be like a top tier or even second tier star. So what the what is... next question becomes difficult because you can't just be like, oh, well, he could just be an incredible uh, bench scorer. He could be a great six man. He could be a, a kind of lockdown defender or a dead eye three point shooter. Like, it's very tough when guys are a lot of their game is built on kind of athleticism and kind of physical gifts to if they're not at the very top with that to kind of say, okay, well, what are they then? Yeah. Like I think where was it under Clifford or was it the weird one Scott Skiles year where they try to make him like a small forward and they said like, Oh, he could be like a Paul George potential. I think that's under Clifford. That was under Clifford. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, they've still tried that at times this year. If Isaac is, well, no, them Isaac's injuries have just made that difficult. But if Isaac hadn't had multiple injuries at this point, like Aaron Gordon would have been playing a lot of tree, even though he's not a small forward. Yeah, yeah. I just don't. I don't know. I I just think that they're again. I just I think how we view players and all this stuff. Like he just doesn't. He doesn't. Like, he doesn't have the role-playing skills to kind of be this, I don't know, uh, I even, like, an Isaac piece. Because, like, defensively, he's a good defender. He has, like, all the physical tools that you want, athleticism. It just he's doesn't... Not, he's not... Like, Isaac is an all-defensive caliber young player. Like, yeah. that, if that's his future, no one's surprised. Yes. And I, I don't think Aaron Gordon is that at all. No, not close to it. From at MK, Robert, what series besides the books are you most looking forward to? Jordan. Probably he pays just for Bucks purposes. 
My mine is Clippers Mavericks. I just don't know of how much of it I'll see. I actually I'm not aware of the schedule beyond tonight. I don't think I will be watching game one live. So we'll see how much of it I catch after the fact, but I, I just I feel like that should be a fantastic series. Heat Pacers is one that I, I may well I even aside from the books element of it, I just think there's there's interesting potential there. I think that series could evolve in kind of unexpected ways. There could be some real kind of back and forth where adjustments and kind of game-to-game decisions play out in a meaningful way, which you're not going to get that in all first-round series. So I think that that's definitely one that has potential to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. From at Delish04, I don't mean for this to be an annoying question. Will Mike Budenholzer's job be on the line if the books fail to reach the finals? I don't think it should be, but Dwayne Casey replaced, was replaced by Nick Nurse. Stan Van Gundy was replaced by Pat Riley in 05, etc. I don't think so, but part of why I don't think so is... Like... We don't know to what point everything changes if the books don't reach the finals, or certainly if they, you know, fall short in any kind of catastrophic way before that. Like, so much of, you know, what happens is going to be tied to what happens with Giannis. When I say so much, what I really mean to say is all of it. And I don't think Bud is going to be on the hot seat in any meaningful way. But let's say things did go really poorly and Giannis decided he wants to leave and the books started to explore trade options. I mean, the books could just be an entirely different team next season. Wouldn't necessarily be because I don't think they would rush into pulling the trigger on a deal to trade Giannis. The bet would be, uh, let's leave this to the last possible moment we can. Uh, go right up to a trade deadline, see what kind of team we put together for next season, see what kind of record we're at, and see what we can convince them to do. Or if we believe in ourselves enough to, to risk going right up to the wire and having them become an unrestricted free agent. Um, but to me, that's like when it comes to, well, but, I mean, if they lost the close conference finals again, I think it only becomes a kind of... It only becomes a key moment that defines the future of Bud or Middleton or Bledsoe or these kind of figures with the books. If Giannis was to decide, yeah, I'm not, I'm not signing a Supermax deal here. I don't think he gets fired at all, even if they fall short. I just think you still have Giannis under contract beyond this year. They need to show that they are like as stable as they have been. Cause I mean, we know what it looked like before, Bud came around. Um, <laughs> yes, we do Jordan. Yes, we do. I don't know if other teams around the NBA do. Basically. I don't, I don't know if Bucks fans still remember that because we've been spoiled the last two years, but uh, sure have. I mean, the other thing with Bud though, and like Bud, Bud walked out on the Hawks essentially, and that was only because there was, you know, GM changed, and there was an ownership change, and there was, like, just the dynamics became weird over time, but it essentially, you know, it boiled down to the Hawks were in for a rebuild, and a real rebuild, and Bud wanted to coach a team that was more ready now, 
yeah. because like in a like if you were to plan out even worst case scenarios if the worst case scenario is that Yanis was to leave and the books were to become a very different team and have to look at the long view can you pick out too many coaches you'd rather have develop your players than Bud and his assistants in terms of like track record they have in a development sense? There aren't a whole bunch of them, so it would be more about whether Bud wanted to, you know, get back to a better opportunity straight away in those kind of situations. So, I mean, from a book's perspective, I'd find it tough to see after like the just the sheer relentless winning that the Bucks have done in the past two seasons in the regular season. And then, you know, it's not like last year was some disgrace as much no. as that kind of gets lost. We'd have to see how it all pan out and exactly how it played out. But I I don't think so. And I, I would be much more concerned if that was the case because it would seem like the kind of thing that would just have the recipe for, you know, complete implosion. Yeah, like, I, I think, I mean, Bud signed a four-year deal that overlaps with three of Giannis's years under control and whatever the future is beyond his, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's also, like, remember, Jordan, you might forget this, too, because I know people forget what it was like before Bud, but you remember when that previous coach, I can't remember his name, but Joe he Parker? got fired... That, that sounds familiar. might have been him. He got fired, and there was all of this conversation in the media about his close relationship with Giannis. Oh, you know, Giannis was, was devastated. you remember this? Yes. Um, I I think part of that might have come from that coach in question, in that he liked to talk a lot about his role in all things Giannis, where that's not the case with Bud, but I do get the sense that the player-coach relationship, as in just respecting what each other are in their professional capacity, may be quite a bit stronger here. I, I That may be informed by the fact that Giannis realizes what he was actually playing under before. But I don't know. I Look, I just don't, I don't see really the logical path to that. If they lose in four games to the Magic, you'll probably get fired. Yeah. Like... <laughs> I don't know, like, the we have to, I don't know, I'm just thinking, realistically, we're talking about firing, say if they if they fall short in the conference finals, or maybe gasp, don't reach that. They don't come out of the East. I don't think they're, I don't know, I just don't think that they're, we're in the realm of firing Bud or anything like that ever happening. Well, how many coaches are better than them, too, right? Well, that's the thing. Is like, who are you going out? Who do you? Who are you going out there to to replace him with? First of all, second question: Mark Jackson, probably. Oh God, no! Please don't. <laughs> second of all, are you? Is ownership going to want to eat that money? I mean, there's no fans going to be this year, possibly all of next year. They're going to be eaten tax money too exactly that's a lot there's no there's no way even if even if this falls short falls shorts again falls short again (laughs) um yeah i i think i'd be surprised if if bud doesn't write out his deal 
for a lot of factors. From at Pablo Calzada 9. Are you guys worried about DiVincenzo's awful games in the bubble despite the last one? I still believe he's the X Factor we need this year. I don't really dispute the fact that he's the X Factor they need. Um, but part of being the X Factor is, uh, yeah, if he does it, he's the X Factor. And if he doesn't, the X Factor happens to be that he didn't do it. Yeah, I'm worried. I mean, I don't think the last game was great at all. I was not impressed because he still turned the ball over five times and that's maybe the biggest issue of all of this right now for him. Uh, I'm concerned. I don't think he looks as good in any way. Agreed. I don't, I, his, the Memphis game was nice, but it was also, I don't think, I think it was also like, oh, he's hitting shots. It wasn't, I mean, he still turned over the, the ball five times. <laughs> it was not good. Um, he's yeah, definitely, like he's, he's not Giannis, right? He's not even Chris, like, He's not he just can't turn the ball over five times. I mean, I don't think Bledsoe ever really turns the ball over five times. No, he he is he is something really... he doesn't actually get enough credit for uh, with all of the stuff that we kind of complain about. But you just don't see that from Bledsoe. But there are games where Giannis and Chris play great, and sure they've got five turnovers. But you understand that was part of what they were doing. Like Dante cannot. If Dante's turned the ball over three times, that's way too many. That's a problem. Like, yeah. Uh, five is just and I just don't think overall I think his rebounding is maybe the only thing and that's just down to okay well is he trying is he there okay he can jump the same and he cares he's gonna get the rebounds great I don't think his defense looks as good my part of my concern with Dante is if he is just off and he's gonna look like he looked I think he's still gonna play like oh yeah he's definitely gonna play we know that he is important, and we've seen how important he can be. That they're gonna have to sort of stick with him. That could be a problem. I mean, he may well see reduced minutes if he's terrible, but I don't. Even just with the roster makeup, like they've they have bet a lot on Dante without actually having to go out and kind of bet financially on Dante. Like it's it's not showing up in any way that they're all in on Dante, but in a lot of ways the books are all in on Dante. They have to. If if he was just fine, that might be that might be something that they can work with. If he's bad, if he's really bad like he has been, well that's that's a problem. Yeah, I, I mean I think we talked about his struggles more than most players in the bubble, just because his importance to the Bucks in the future. His importance I mean, not the future, I mean just this playoff run, they need another ball handler, uh slash kind of Guy that can give you buckets off, you know, the dribble, not just he can generate his own shot. Um, yeah, he he didn't do well at all. <laughs> he he can certainly generate shots with the ball in his hands. It's everything else that he struggles with greatly that I have no confidence in right now. Um, so yeah, I think I think he looks better when he has like a Giannis or a Chris. Bledsoe, any of the the Bucks's ball handlers on the floor, I think that's when he's most Dante like. He it's was still he, turning the ball over with those guys, though. That's true. That is very true. Like he was misconnecting with those guys, and that's if he's on the floor and you're having five possessions that are ending with him giving the ball away. Like that just doesn't work. I mean, quite a few. He did it multiple times where 
he just like passed it like four feet in front or behind of a guy and it would go out of bounds. It's like, what is this? What is going on? I hope that isn't something that we see again. From at DJ Abedes, which team has the most favorable path to the finals? It's the Bucks. Mm-hmm. It's not even close. It's the Bucks. Uh, to not have to play one of Toronto, Boston, or Philadelphia until the conference finals in the East, and to not have to play the Bucks, like <laughs> you know, that's as good as it gets. And you take your chance from there. Maybe if there were some upsets in the West, there actually is a possibility that a team in the West could end up going like, oh no, this is a really nice path to the finals, but it would take some upsets. I mean, if everything played to expectations in the West, it's just, it's pretty grueling. Um, but it's the books and it's not close. Agreed. It's, it's the Bucks by quite a margin. From at David Dunn 21, when was the last time we executed our offense well? Second half against the Heat. <laughs> yeah. That is the only time in the bubble. Maybe, maybe at some spells against... <laughs> maybe it's just it's a kind of, you know, after the fact that you say that there wasn't good offensive execution in the Celtics and Rockets games, particularly with the way the Rockets game ended, um, which was with terrible offensive execution. But I don't think there can be any doubting that the second half of the Heat game was very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. From a P-backer 91, do you expect that the Bucks will be able to flip a switch and turn it on the playoffs? By flipping a switch, take care of the ball and uh, hitting shots or playing defense more consistently, I think I I don't, yeah. The whole flipping a switch stuff, I just don't, I think it. if it would apply to a team, I don't think it applies to this Bucks team because I, I think a lot of their stuff was self-inflicted. From from what we saw from the seeding games. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they still have to flip a switch in terms of no longer inflicting that upon themselves. True. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, uh, my answer is no, they can't flip the switch. Um, so this is going to be a gradual thing. And that means you've got to start improving from game one of round one. And hope to be considerably better by the time you get to game one of round two. And hope to be much closer to your best by the time you get to game one of the conference finals. Like, that's not flipping the switch. If the books make a mess of this first round and still scrape true, then we're at a point where they need to flip the switch because they're going to play a much better team and need to not be terrible right away. Like, they can still work their way up and ramp their way up and things. I I do think if that is the case and if that's what's going to happen, which I, I think is the only way that we can see the books get back to something resembling their best is if it plays out this way. People do need to be prepared for. There could be some bumps in the first round. There could be some bumps in the second round before they get to a point where they just look like themselves. And then it's, you know, well, does the best version of the books beat the best version of the Raptors, the Celtics, whatever it might be? But 
yeah, I do think for all of the talk about flipping the switch, you don't need to flip the switch. You're playing the Orlando Magic in the first round. And we just, as we mentioned, they have the most favorable hat to the finals, even in the second round. Sure, Heat or Pacers is a lot tougher. It is not the toughest series that any team has ever faced. Mm. It's not even... Like, if they got to the conference finals, that series wouldn't feature in the top two toughest series they've faced the last two years. Yeah. You know? um, maybe even top three. I mean, they beat the Celtics in five last year, and they tore them apart for good. I, I think last year's Celtics team is better than this year's Heat team, or this year's Pacers team, personally. So, like, it's just about the books finding themselves again. And working their way back to that. And if they themselves try to get it all back in one go, that couldn't be quite disastrous. Like, I think just play each game on its own terms, focus on, okay, what are we about? What are our principles? And do the little things right. I mean, if they don't cut down on turnovers, if they force up and miss terrible early shot clock attempts, if they give away a lot of cheap fouls to A, rack up foul trouble for key players, and B, send the opponent to the free throw line for free points. Like, if they continue to do all those things, like, that's that's where your kind of initial answer on it is right. That's not about a switch. It's like, just, you can't, you can't withstand all of that. Like, that's yeah. too much for any team. And it's, it's always been my thing that's like, if we end up talking about the three-point shooting for the Magic, or if it's in the next round of conference finals, the finals, whatever it is, if we end up talking about an opponent making too many trees, nine times out of ten, it's going to mean that there's another area of the game that's letting the books down, and so the margin on the scoreboard is no longer significant enough to, you know, take the hit that their their scheme is designed for them to take. Yeah, I agree. I I definitely agree with that. All right. That is it, Jordan. That is it for our pre-playoff episode. We will be back. Um, We're going to be accused of not taking this seriously. And having listened to Jordan for over an hour at this point, you'll all know Jordan is not taking this seriously. So (laughs) that would be an accurate uh, accusation to make. But we're not going to do podcasts following every game just yet. We're going to do every second game. Um, So, you know, when the books uh, hit the road again, we will, uh, before they do that, we will catch up. So after every two games, most likely we'll do it. I mean, it's not impossible that if anything truly monumental happens, uh, if they look incredible, if maybe if they win by 80 points or something, we decide to come back sooner. If they lose by a considerable margin, you know, if anything kind of game-changing happens, it's possible to be back. But for the moment, our plan is every two uh, two games we'll record, and as the playoffs go on, we will probably interrupt that up. To make sure you get all of those episodes, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, and add us on Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter at winin6podcast. That's the number six. And that way you'll also see when the episodes drop, but you can get in touch with mailbag questions when we put the call out. Mine, Jordan, and the rest of our team of writers, 
if you want to check out our work in the written form behindbookpass.com every single day of the year but particularly throughout the playoffs um, we'll have the usual kind of post game grades takeaways coverage but we'll have a whole lot more as well uh, picking up on some of the different wrinkles we see over the next couple of weeks until next time thanks all of you for listening thank you Jordan thank you